Welcome to Triumph and Disaster, a show dedicated to manly creativity and culture. Brought to you by your host, Cameron McHarg. Hey guys, it's Cameron McCarg. We're back for another episode of Triumph and Disaster. And this episode is kind of a special one. It's all about movies. It's a cinephile episode. It's with uh, Daniel Friedman and Matthew Wilder, who are both successful screenwriters and filmmakers. And uh, we just all sit down, kind of round table, sort of old school salon, coffee house kind of thing and, and talk about movies. What is it about movies? Pick them apart. What is it that makes them good? What's that all about? And, um, I had such a good time with this and I'm really, really glad I'm really glad we recorded it. So if you're into movies at all, curious about movies, if you're a cinephile, I think you'll enjoy this. So here we go. Triumph and Disaster with Matthew Wilder and Daniel Friedman. So we're back with Matthew Wilder and we're having a dynamic duo with Daniel Friedman this evening. And uh say something? Say hello. So um we already started shooting the shit, and I just decided to turn it on because we were talking about kind of thing. So we can, we can share. Yeah, you can pass back. So you said you know anything about Ken Fanger? Like well, something else? Or it's I, like knew, nine I knew. Years old, he he knew this crazy kid who Hostel uh, Huerta turned me on to this crazy kid who she said this guy's looking to do a biopic for Alistair Crowley. Yeah, you know the great Satanist. I think. There's been scripts around for oh, like um, so many. Uh, God, I can't. Why am I not thinking of his name right now? But the guy who's the big, he's uh, he's just in the in that and that. Uh, in it, Tom Hardy. Yeah, Tom Hardy. I heard Tom Hardy was going to play Crowley. Oh, really? Maybe with Nick uh, with Rafa. Oh, certainly. That makes sense. Yeah, I saw I read some about that here. I think that'd be pretty cool. But anyway, yeah. So Crowley. So there's another guy. You know who the Dark Brothers are? The dark, the Dark Brothers, the no. 80s porn directors. <laughs> why do I? Why do I not know that? Seriously. Anyway, yeah, I mean, like, there are not that many 80s porn directors. <laughs> you know, they were they were among the only. They were ones. special. Greg Dark was one of them, and he got He did a uh, uh, Britney Spears videos, and then Britney's dad found out that. Greg Dark was a porn guy and a pimp and went crazy and tried to beat him up or something. Greg Dark approached me to do an Alistair Crowley biopic. So somehow, really, yeah, like I, I don't because I'm bald. I guess people think oh, I'm, I maybe look he knows satanic. about Crowley. Yeah, they think I must be an Alistair Crowley person. <laughs> so she, she said, "Oh, this guy wants to do Alistair Crowley biopic." I don't know why I'm different that voice, but yeah, uh, Just, I to, she wants to do an Alistair Crowley biopic. So I went to this kid's house who lives in the hills in this macabre house with a stairs that are like a ladder uh, straight up it's like super, super cardio, narrow like, and 100 feet you have to like mm, you know to get up there and it turned out that this was if you if you know this guy uh, Do, uh, uh, Donald Kamel the guy who co-directed performance oh yes yeah he was really uh, the OTO too who committed yeah. horrific suicide I did not know that and it turned out this kid was a Satanist who rented out his house because Donald Kamel had killed himself in the house. And it turned out that Donald Kamel had taken a room and redressed it to be like the ending of performance, you know, when the Jagger gets shot in the head and the bullet goes through the brain and you see the forehead and all that stuff. He dressed the room to be like the death scene of performance. And he rigged the camera and did the last lines of performance and then said some kind of farewell, fuck you to the world. 
and then blew his brains out on camera. And wow. apparently his widow has the only existing film of his suicide so this kid was a real dick and I was I mean like this really freaked me out this whole thing about being just in the room of Donald Connell's suicide yeah and this kid said uh, I said where's the bathroom and he's like oh I think it's over there and so I walked into this eerie room that you know I walked into and I'm like what is this and he's like oh that's the room where Donald Connell blew his brains out and I sort of like because wow. I was like I don't want to you know, I don't want to be around that shit that's crazy. Uh, but this kid had uh, this uh, um, a, a movie from the 40s or early 50s. I forget which one it is. The inauguration of the Pleasure Dome, I think, that that Kent Sanger directed, and he had a, a, a three a triptych, three frame, you know, three different separate frames playing at once, like Warhol's Chelsea Girls, so uh-huh. three three frames at once, and it had music by ELO and Jimmy Page that had never been heard before. Jimmy Page is another guy involved. He's another guy who was yeah. involved with yeah. anger and Satan and Bobby Beausoleil, the Hanson family guy. But anyway, this kid had this movie. Three, I mean, like, three panels. It was mind-blowing. And the ELO score and the Jimmy Page movie and all this stuff, I was like, oh my God. It was like, you know, when you hear people having you know, a Jackson Pollock painting behind their grandpa's house yeah. in their house that's a million dollars and it's just sitting there for 20 years. That play was an original score by Yellow? It was an original score by Yellow. Okay. And, and Jimmy Page. And it had sat unscreened for decades. How was it? It was, it was incredible. So I said to this kid, like, you know, this should be the centerpiece of the next Cannes Film Festival and you could show this at MoMA and you could have a a whole revival of Kenneth Anger and blah, 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 you know, I mean, like, just this work alone would blow people's minds so much, it would reanimate Kenneth Anger. Yeah. And of course, like Anger, this kid was totally paranoid. Fuck that. I'm not, I'm not gonna let other people watch this. They're gonna try and rip me off, steal my movies, take my shit. I'm not, and, and I, I have no idea. So I think someone said that it played, they played it, like, privately at the Billy Wilder here for, like, a night. They just, projected it from a laptop or something for friends. But this is something, I swear to God, if you saw this, it would be the event of the year. I mean, like, it would be this epic, huge people would be lining up all over and re-watching Kenneth Anger and stuff. Yeah, yeah, resurgence. He's just nuts. I think Jimmy Page did the soundtrack for uh, Lucifer Rising. Yeah, for Lucifer Rising. Yeah, yeah. No, Beausoleil did the soundtrack. They did? I I mean, he may have it too, but I know know Jimmy Page wrote music for and um Nick Jagger wrote for him. Yeah. Anger. Yeah. Yeah. Page also did like the score for like Death Wish two or three. <laughs> really? <laughs> really good score. Um but yeah, no, I like Bosolet. I was just reading about Bosolet recently and his whole story and how he claims he's he's still in prison but he claims he was never actually part of the Manson family and it was all just a big mix up and he got pulled into the murder. But he actually did shoot somebody, but it, Really complicated story, but interesting. Um, and he's been playing in prison. They have a band, <laughs> and they get to actually perform. There's he has a YouTube channel. What? Um, and they have all his performances up where him and his band play from within whatever prison they're in. Um, What's his? How do you spell his name? So people can look up the. I have no idea how to spell Beausoleil. But uh, Bobby, oh, Bobby okay. Beausoleil. Yeah, just look up like yeah. French. B e a u s o l e i l. Beautiful song. So okay, I okay. Yeah, when when. Wasn't there something? Remember when that really hot chick was going to marry Charles Manson? 
Do you remember this? Like two years ago, she was writing a oh, letter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she yeah, showed up. Yeah, and she yeah. was like this awesomely hot yeah. girl. Someone told me that he figured out that all she wanted was like when after he was dead that she was gonna like keep his corpse in her house or something like put it on display and then he's like fuck you and then that was the end, <laughs> that was the end of their uh, well, what's up with him he, is he sick and in the hospital now I heard he was like recently yeah. 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 yeah well <laughs> <laughs> there was another uh, side note we've, we've talked about this before because you've written I'm talking to Danny right now you've written some, some uh, scripts that have to do with some of this esoteric kind of stuff the Crowley stuff were you kind of interested in that? There was a, I don't know if you know, there's a guy named Jack Parsons. Of course. Oh, yeah. Okay, you know about this guy. So there's literally a huge crater on the dark side of the moon named Jack Parsons. J.P.L. guy, right? On the dark side of the moon, which is a dude. Yeah, he's a, he's a major, like a, one of the founders of the J.P.L. Of the and an Anton LeBay follower. Yes, an OTO, a Crowley guy. And uh, yeah, he, there was some kind of a crazy, he did, he, he, I guess he had this huge, like, these ritual orgies and things in Pasadena, and I think he died in some kind of weird explosion. Right. And uh, I always thought that would be a great guy to me. I'm sure there's a million scripts about that guy out there too. It's a great story. Somebody actually talked to me about that once too, and then and then they said, "Oh." Uh, and I was like, wow, yeah, you know, like by day you were literally a rocket scientist. Yeah. Went in Orange County, wherever it was that he was. Pasadena. Pasadena. Oh, yeah. And then by night you're a, you know. Yeah. Crowley Satanist, blood orgies, drinking totally out active. of a yeah. skull. And they're like, well, yeah, but couldn't it be more like the right stuff? Literally. I was like, <laughs> why? Why would you do that? Like, <laughs> do that, but just take all the cool stuff and right. throw it out. Thinking about a guy looking at a rocket. Yeah, I'm interested. I've, I've been, uh, the thing that didn't get a lot of coverage was the whole when Scalia died on the Supreme Court, oh, yeah. you know, judge. Uh, when he died in that weird lodge, did you hear about all this stuff? What? He died in this weird lodge. I didn't know that. Full of esoteric shit. Um, they had like bunk beds in the hallways. There was weird, uh, you know, paraphernalia and masks and stuff on the walls. And it was this like, I don't know if it was Mason. It was sort of, yeah. you know, somewhat Masonic. Um, weird, like super elite secret society. And then he actually died. That's where he actually died. Um, it just got, you know. Completely swept under the rug. There's photos of it That's though. You can look at the lodge and you can go find it online. I had some lift driver recently going into all the Alex Jones, you know, Illuminati uh, things. And then and then I just played it down and I was sort of like, hey, have you ever seen this movie called Eyes Wide? Yeah, I was just thinking of it. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And I was like, do you know anything about that? And he goes, yeah, the guy that made that movie was murdered by the Illuminati and the Rockefellers and they took out um, Ariana Huffington and he had this whole <laughs> he had this whole litany of the people who killed Kubrick. I was like, wow, that's that's awesome. Because he was going to expose, yeah, yeah, gonna yeah, expose throw the lid off the Kubrick. Yeah. <laughs> no, the Kubrick was going to expose. Oh, he the, was right, right, the, right, right. the elite. Yeah. you know, and so um, they had the, the moon landing thing, right? No, no, he was going to expose like, the fact that was going to have oh, more in that movie alone. Not to You're mention that he faked the moon landing. Of the, of the, of the government, right. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. the moon landing was fine. No one cared about that. <laughs> uh, it was, the, it was, we went too far with Ice Watch. <laughs> but I have seen some photos from the 70s of like a Rothschild party that- Oh, oh yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah. they have the, 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 the very surreal horn. Yeah. Like crazy like dinner weird party with- Curved nose. The, the, they look like they're out of the- um, uh, I can't think of his name. The painter that does all the crazy uh, 
the scary stuff, the oh, Renaissance sure. yeah, 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 they look like painting, like something from right out of that. By the way, I want to, I need to start, we just launched right into this, but just so everybody knows, I'm sure I'll do this in the, in the intro here. This is a move, we're, we're, we're going all over the place, but we're just talking about movies and stuff in this thing. It's not, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not like pimping somebody's project or anything like that. We came with the Wild Earth you know, this idea just to talk about, uh, I'm, so I'm kind of saying why, this is what I'm kind of trying to do here. Uh, about movies and what, uh, movies they yeah, okay. Alright, you guys later. <clears throat> um, what makes movies good? What, uh, what, is, what makes movies good or bad? So that's sort of the general topic that we're going to get into, but we're going to veer all around to uh, crazy conspiracy drugs, sex parties as well. Uh, the, just the thing is, just to speak to that, I mean, the thing that I was thinking about when I, when I called you up to ask you about this was I said, you know, because people are, compu- you know, like on Facebook, people are compulsive listeners. I sort compulsive listeners. And I thought, you know, what's the difference between when people list uh, their favorite movies versus if if someone asked you to make a list of the greatest movies? And I think for oh, yeah. almost everyone, those two lists would in some way be not probably totally different, but they would be a little different. And, and why? Like you just recently, uh, what was it? It was like, what's... Uh, your favorite movie that you genuinely like, but it's like that not one other person likes. Yeah, like, it's like movies that just it's like how everyone could you despises. admit that? Yeah. Right. yeah, not which is not to say like oh it's a guilty pleasure, but I mean movies that like, really like. every fucking person hates. <laughs> I said Red like Dawn. you. I think a lot of people like Red Dawn. Um, <laughs> yeah, could I like Red Dawn. Did either of you guys like Only God Forgives? Love, love, yeah. I loved it too, and that has love. been. No one is like that movie. Um, I didn't see it. That's the only. I think that's the only reference movie I haven't seen. It's one of the best. Really? I think so. It's it's a hard movie to watch not in a theater. Um, I think it really benefits from being watched that's, in a theater. That's true of all of his, for I sure. I saw it on VOD. Oh, he did. Man. When it dropped on VOD at midnight, I watched it. But there I'm is no the bigger fan of Neon Demon than him. I think I like it more. Yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciated Neon Demon, but I didn't love it. It has a small but dedicated padre of love. Yeah. I, I really appreciated it, and I really like that he made it, and I'll go see yeah. anything he says, but or he makes. But it, for me personally, I didn't, I didn't love it. Uh, I just, yeah. What did you love about it so much? I, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. Actually, it's like. It's hard, it's hard to describe except that I I, wa- I saw it four times in the theater and every time I was I was totally entranced in like just hypnotized like in a sexual way almost like in the sen- in the sense that something would just like somebody would just put the whammy put the booty on you like I watched it every time just beginning to end without breaking my focus at all and I find that movie is it's to me. It's very haunting. There's something very uh, melancholy and haunting about it. Always is everything he does, though. That's always there, that's an element that's involved. But you know, everyone I say that to, because oh, what the fuck is wrong with you? That would be so obviously stupid. And I was like, I mean, I guess it's obviously stupid, but I, I feel like you know. I remember when people laughed at Blue Velvet too, because they're well, what was stupid about it. Well, it's like a simple story. A girl comes to L.A. And, 
gets tarnished by, you know, the the dark forces of Hollywood. The dialogue is kind of dorky, but I think it's it's that way deliberately. I think your comparison to Blue Velvet's a really yeah. good one, actually. Uh, I mean, it's, it has that Blue Velvet has this kind of stilted weirdness that. If you don't know better, you would think it's a mistake. You think it's just bad. A lot of Lynch is like that. Yeah. yeah. Is it is it camp? Is this on purpose? Is it is it yeah. supposed to be like that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, there's a certain awkwardness. I mean, at least more to Lynch. Yeah. But um. Well, he has a lot. Yeah. A, a lot of definite. I think intentional awkwardness. He has a lot of these weird pauses that go a little too far. Yeah. These little stilted moments where it's like you feel a little uncomfortable. I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Even in a racer hat. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's all intentional. That's yeah, all I think part, so. That's all yeah. by design yeah. because he's fucking with the form in the audience um, and manipulating you to feel a certain way at a certain time. So then, I mean, I think you could look at it mistakenly as bad filmmaking or or whatever, but it's actually masterful in its design. Um, I can only say, I saw that picture when it came, the day that it came, I took a train to New York and went open in 1986. All I knew was that it was a David Lynch movie about a detective in a small town. Which you think, <laughs> well, I don't know, and it sounds like whatever, or something. And I can't tell, I, I literally, there's never been any experience before or since of a movie audience that was so traumatized by a movie that they were about it. I mean, it was literally like, you were just ambushed by this movie that you were not expecting. And certainly when you see the beginning, yeah. very stylized, small town life, you don't expect when you get to the Dennis Hopper part that it's going to be so savage as it is in that movie. And I, I've never seen an audience react. It, it was like the reaction of an audience to like seeing a car crash death in front of me on the street. Like, I mean, like audible or, gas. And yeah, and, but, and, you know, and yet, of course, at the end, like, everybody kind of wanted to go back and watch it again, you know, but it really was like, uh, I've never... What an amazing that. experience, though, to, to, to be in the theater oh, at yeah. that time and not knowing what to expect Nothing. and having that... See, this is the difference, by the way, oh, about seeing shit in the theater as well. The way it's supposed to be, the communal experience... That's important. I mean, that's a whole different thing than, than experiencing that alone. When you're, when everybody, you know, audibly gasped, you're all in this together. That's crazy. No, I was just gonna say, I just saw John Wick two with a full audience, sold out Friday night show, and seeing it with that audience that was that excited and that reactive made the movie that much, so much better. Um, I don't know anything about it. What, what are they about? I know that, that someone gets their dog killed. That's all they're, they're in the best <laughs> way a throwback to 80s action movies. Um, they're what, the closest one. Commando. They're the closest right. thing to a modern day commando where you have a one-man army kicking ass and Rambo taking names in a, in a way that is completely self-aware and embraces all of its charm. Do you know what? Speak, speaking of that, 80s action movies and all this Stuff. And we were talking about no, this on the same subject. I remember seeing Rocky IV in the theater when I was a kid. Okay, the fucking crowd jumped to their feet. Well, this is during the Reagan. Five, it was for the during even the Russian. It was during yeah. It was during the Reagan era, and the crowd and you know I was in the suburbs. The crowd jumped to their fucking feet. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. A guy jumped and, to his feet and did the V with his arm. Yes. 
But I tell you, I mean, it's you know, the movie aside, that experience was really fucking exciting, you know, as a kid. It's one of the things that makes movies so special. And, and, and you know, we can lie, and it is funny, you know, considering what the movie was, but I'm talking, I really think it's a, that's the way to experience it. I mean, you were just talking about guilty pleasures or yeah. bad movies yeah, that you yeah, really yeah. like. I mean, I, I, I grew up on all the 80s action and horror films, and now when I go to something like the New Beverly and you get to see one of those or even like one of the you know, 70s Grindhouse yeah. movie, those movies don't really work if you watch them alone. But if you watch them with an audience, especially late at night, and maybe they're people, so, are, yeah. people are high or drunk or having a good time, those movies are so much fun to watch. Um, and they're not good movies, but they make for great viewing experience. Yeah. Uh, at least for me. At least I, I get off on them. I have a blast. Why does nobody ever revive movies from the 80s that were actually good? Like what? Once Upon a Time in America. Uh, the King of Comedy. Like, they, they never, like, people will, will watch, like, Quell a hundred times. <laughs> or, like, you know, The Lost Boys. But they never watched yeah, I like the last ones. <laughs> but no, it's Come like Kiefer Sutherland's mullet was really cool. Good. What? Kiefer Sutherland's mullet in that time, he was the coolest guy. What year did they come Eighty six or something? Anyway, I just think there's a lack of filmmakers working on that level today. Of, of, of those, of yeah, those I, kinds I, of films, you know. I, I'd be afraid to touch one of those things. Yeah, who's gonna you're gonna remake them? Is there no, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying when you go to the New Beverly or the Egyptian oh, or something, they will play. The Lost Boys, right? But they won't play the the eighties well, movies. I think are actually on a like Friday really night or something. Good. Midnight. Oh, I mean, they, no, they, they play, play that shit all the time. Really? Yeah, they don't. You can see Army of Darkness every week. <laughs> Twice sure, a week, but they they they're not they're not programming things like that. Is that the, like the shit about it. From time to time, I mean, what did we go see recently? Uh, at Mickey Rourke uh, movie. You're the you're the dragon. Yeah, that was uh. That's somewhere in between. Chimino. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I just don't think that there's a lot of directors today working that are making movies on that level. Whether or not, I don't know if it's because there aren't any filmmakers or just because they're not being allowed to, or it's not what's being made, but uh, I would lean towards that, that it's just not, it's not, it's not being allowed or there's no one attempting. I, I, I think, I would say something a little bit different, which is I think there are now, I think you see as many in a year as many good auteur movies as you would say 1970. There's Woody Allen, there's Terrence Malick, there's PTA, there's QT, there's, a, you know, that, but, you know, however many handful of people. The thing that I think is kind of different is, I don't, I don't know if I've seen so much with the 80s, but certainly 70s and before, I think it's like the bread and butter movies that have gotten worse. That in the seventies, a kind of what we would generally consider back in the day, like a pretty shitty movie. Mm-hmm. You like watch it now, and you go, hey, "It's pretty good." You know, like it's pretty well written. The acting's pretty good. Like you know, it's pretty solid. Even a pretty, you know, a, a Charles Bronson western from nineteen seventy six. That's not with a great director. Let's probably watch it now, and it's like pretty solid. Whereas I find now, I mean, like I saw this movie last night called A Cure for Wellness. Oh, the Gore Verbinski. Gore Verbinski. Good? It's like it's like a it's like some it, it plays like some like a college kids riff on Shutter Island. It's set in a madhouse, and Dane DeHaan, who looks like Leo, is walking around and crazy shit's happening. It's a hundred and forty-seven fucking minutes long. A hundred and forty-seven. I mean, that should be like eighty-five minutes long. 
Square Kid goes to a crazy house. They lock him up and pretend he's crazy. Shit happens. Blah, blah. <laughs> like, really? Does, does it have to have 17 endings like Pirates of the Caribbean 4? Why? You know? Like, that's something that 60 years ago would have been an awesome little bottom of the double Samuel ball. Fuller, like, yeah. movie or something, right? Shot Corridor. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And now it's a 147-minute gross, really gross, blood squirting out of people's broken teeth. It's just, it's just foul and inept. Where is where are all the good? Where's the craftsman? You know, the the B craftsman. The B craftsman. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, not like the Sam, Oscar movies, like Samuel good, Fuller. Like Sam Fuller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Are there any those? Like the so B, a, B, a B movie would would be like basically mm-hmm. like a genre movie, like movie. Like movie. something that goes right to Netflix, or, I guess, right? Not Which even, not I would, even. I would, I would, I would say Wicked is a B movie. Yeah, theatrical. Is, you would say that's yeah. yeah. I mean, it may not be budget wise a B movie, but right? The, but its the content is, is a B movie. movie. It's a it's a genre movie designed to just be exactly what it is and to be fun. Does that even exist in the theaters? What? Theatrically, I don't even know if that exists. Is it something that's sort of what would essentially be like a drive-in movie? Well, I mean, what is all the Transformers and all this garbage? I mean, aren't those B movies? Just made for a hundred million dollars. Yeah, but they're yeah, but they're huge. But I mean, I mean, they're filling the void that that the B movies fill. I mean, they're right. Am I I wrong? Do you guys follow these movies? Like, I, I somehow like I make a point to not see these movies. They're sort of like. I guess you, you consider them like the Sundance version of like these genre movies, like The Witch and Green Room and stuff like that. I do, I do. I'm very much into that stuff. I mean, and, and, and those, those movies are good. The Green Room was fantastic. I, lo- I mean, it's it's a 100% straight ahead genre film, but it's really well done. Um, it's one of the few movies I've seen in the past five years where I didn't know what was going to happen, and I didn't know who was going to die, and that alone was thrilling just be able to watch a movie and actually be in suspense, which very rarely, at least for me, happens anymore. Um, the Witch was, re- I mean, I think a lot of people like The Witch. The Witch is really interesting. I didn't, again, I appreciated the yeah, film. It's, I, did. It's, I mean, the, those both those films, and there's a couple others from this past year, kind of fall into this new wave of art house work. Um, and those, for me, are some of the only movies being made that are interesting at all compared to what else. I mean, they're the only things that are unique have actual uh, I hate the word vision but the, they're, they're movies made with style and they're unique and they don't play like normal movies they're different do you do you feel like when you as soon as you hear Sundance you listen to you think oh that's uh, it's a director from Brooklyn with a bow tie is that what uh, the problem is like, well <laughs> like do you write off Sundance movies now yeah uh, well well, because, I mean, those movies to me are sort of the the only thing interesting being made anymore, that these low-budget, uh, they're not always genre, but they're generally the sort of more outside-of-the-box festival run. Like, I saw a film last year that's going to come out this year called Bad Batch. Just I saw it. Did you like it? No, I loved it. I didn't like Girl Walks Home at night, but it's I really liked it. I think it had a little more energy. I could see that. I just really enjoyed... I just, I've been looking for things that are new and fresh and different, because everything feels the same to me these days. Uh, so yeah, that's interesting. 
I didn't think, I really didn't think either of those. I thought like this chick found a DP who had this very oily black and white look. It was kind of cool. And that's all she wrote. Like I, I was like, well, that's kind of nice looking. That's it. That was, but that's some, sometimes that's enough. So what what, are, what have you liked in the past year or two? What have I liked? Uh, well, you know, the movie that I love that I'm, I'm just honestly shocked that people didn't respond to it at all uh, is Scorsese's movie Silence. I like Silence. Um, I saw... I, here's one of these things. Okay. I really, really respected it. I saw a lot of uh, Kurosawa in that movie, too. So I a lot. It seemed like it was almost very but I felt like it was, a, I felt, okay, I, I did, I felt like it was a little self-indulgent. I did. I felt like, I, okay, begin with Michael Pollock. Uh, I mean, it was reviewed very, in this very shruggy, mad kind of way, and I, I gather, uh, you know, I, I haven't talked to very many people. I know a few people who were very moved by it. I was destroyed by this movie. Yeah, really? I mean, just absolutely, you know, like Schindler's List kind of way. Really? Destroyed, destroyed, completely destroyed. Just walked around speechless after, you know, after the movie was over, and I was kind of surprised that more people didn't feel that way. And my hunch about it is, I think people were just so decimated by Trump winning <laughs> that they couldn't deal with something as heavyweight as silence. And so they had to, you know, they, 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 I guess they could deal with like Moonlight or something, but they couldn't deal with something so incredibly heavy as this movie. And they had to go to La La Land. Right. Then you right. might have a point. You might have. Well, I mean, one thing with Silence is it's a movie about, at least for me, it was about grappling with the concept of suffering within the context of Christianity. And I think that's not a, it's a, it's a, it's a hard subject for your normal audience goer, but that's a penetrate, because either they're a religious person who doesn't want to think about it or have to question the morality of their religion, or they're an atheist or a non-believer who the movie just wasn't interesting to but that that to me is like it's like saying you're an atheist and you can't get silence it's like saying like oh I'm not a monarchist so I can't watch a Shakespeare tragedy yeah. about kings I mean it's like if you can't project into the issues of that movie without having to be yeah. Catholic it's it could be for the movie could be about anyone it could be about Muslims it could be about it could be about anything I think it's also about politics too it's about the Japanese keeping out the influence of the West which is a very legitimate thing. As much as the, the priest's point of view is legitimate, I think that, that idea of like, hey, we're a tiny island, and we're going to keep the rest of these invaders out. Uh, I agree. Very I, I, that was one of the things I enjoyed most about the movie was the fact that it wasn't preaching, but it was actually a conversation and that both sides were allowed the opportunity to talk. Uh, that was my favorite part about the movie. I, you know, to me, the, the thing that was just that was moving about it was the notion that you could be the most anonymous person in the world. You could be some peasant that's going to be put in a mass grave tomorrow, and whether you make this choice to betray your faith or not is is of infinite importance. And, and I think, to, especially right now, that's a that's a, an important, powerful idea. How did you feel about the uh, the last shot in the movie? If you remember it. Yeah. So so, I I I, I kind of wonder about that. I felt like he was trying to wrap things up in a way that yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if people have seen the movie or not, but but we won't give it away. But yeah, that last not, shot, not give it away. But it, it kind of yeah, it kind of kind of puts a bow on it at the end in a way that I thought 
little, little too cute for you. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of that, putting a little ball on the end of it, uh, in a general sense, I mean, I love what we're talking about because we could go anywhere with this. It doesn't matter. But in a general sense, as far as movies and what makes them good, and what is a common problem, this all in the end thing is this, is this like a mission that uh, this is one of the issues to touch on regarding what would make a movie bad potentially? Yeah. In your opinion, it's kind of, I mean, isn't it kind of great? I mean, it depends the, on what the, the movie the, is. The right? opposite of that, I remember an audience seeing a. a no Country for Old Men with a preview yeah. audience and at the end my favorite movie when, uh, is it your favorite movie? it's my all time favorite movie really? yeah. well in the last moment of the movie when Tommy Lee finishes what he's saying about the dream and then it cuts yeah. to credits the audience literally gasps at the unfinishedness of the movie that he, he says this dream you don't get really what it means and then written and directed by blah blah Loved it. Went, oh, loved it. Loved it. I've never seen anything like that in a movie. Uh, and it was pleasure, and you could tell it was satisfying, too, that people were satisfied by being unsatisfied in a certain way, you know, because it, it was such a daring way to put a period on something. Yeah. Uh, you could tell the audience just dug it. That and having uh, Judge Brolin's character taken on the way they did at the time. Another, was it another mm-hmm. I think it's actually a flawless one. I'm going to do that. Really? I really love it that much. I kind of always wonder. I always like to. I sort of wonder. Uh, what's, the, what's, the, what's the point of this movie? Except life sucks. Yeah. Well, I think it's the other thing you have to do with No Country is look at it as a Cormac story, not just a Coen Brothers movie. But they're um, but both of them. I'm sorry, but, yeah. but they're both extremely existential. His breaks and their movies, so they kind of had a perfect match. But to me, uh, I, uh, Cameron and I had a conversation recently about No Country because I rewatched it. Um, but to me, it, it felt it fits much more sort of in the in line with the rest of Cormac's books in terms of what it's about than maybe it's very Coen Brothers um, and has dealt with a lot of their themes. But it, it, to me, I, when I watched it this last time, I looked at it through the lens of, of, of being written by Cormac, um, and for some reason, the movie just made perfect sense in a way that's never made sense to me. Um, and that sort of came down to me realizing that uh, Sugar. Was the hero of the movie? I think that's fascinating. Go on about that because I think this is really interesting. I, 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 we talked about this once, and I watched it again right from that point of view, mm-hmm. and then I was, I was fucking blown away. So, I, can you talk a little more about that? Sure. I mean, I'll try to remember. Um, ba- basically, um, I watched it, and it just—it felt like uh, Sugar is the hero because. Um, ago. Um, essentially, he's the, it's, if you look at it, I think with Format and Colin Brothers, they deal with morality a lot, sort of the, the, the veil of morality and how it doesn't exist, um, or that it's a farce. Um, and then Sugar embodies that because he's the only character in the story who never uh, goes back on his own word, and he's fully proactive, and he in his own way, he's the only character that keeps to his code. Because Josh Brolin dies because he goes to that, talk to that girl in the pool and sort of stops paying attention and, you know, in a way, commits his own form of adultery on his wife, and so he dies for breaking that, committing that sin. And then Tommy Lee, who's this committed sheriff, retires and gives up 
and in the end, he's, his wife, you know, he's saying, I can help around the house now more. And his wife is like, don't, don't bother. You're no longer needed um, or, or wanted. And so and he goes and talks to his brother about, you know, having this dream about his father being dying. So, and so Sugar is the only one in the end who is still going um, and following through with, with what he committed to do. Um, and so he may not be a hero in the sense of, you know, good and evil and whatnot, but he's the dramatic hero in that he... Yeah, he sticks to his guns, um, and he commits to his code, and he honors it throughout the whole movie. Have you ever seen uh, the movie that Tommy Lee did of of Park the Park Play called The Sunset? Yeah, movie. with Sam Jackson. Have you ever seen? I started to, and I didn't finish it. Not because I was bored, I just, but I, I was fascinated by it. It's fantastic because yeah. I, I, without, I feel like he he strips everything plot wise away. It's about a guy who's going to jump off of subway platform and another guy who saved his life and drives him in or can't do it. And it's just an argument between life and death. Mm -hmm. And it's dazzling. I mean, like, you know, you strip things down to about as simple as they could possibly be, but as urgent as they can be. And it's just fucking dazzling. And the two guys, Sam Sam Jackson and Connie Jones, they both are at their, I don't know, feet. Yeah, it's captivating. I, 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 yes. The only film to play, probably, that would be, that you could say that about, Two guys sitting in a room yeah. captivating. Uh, an actual it's an actual play, essentially a play. It is a play, but I mean filmed almost as a play. And it's still cinematic. Yeah. I love Really? I love it. You yeah. do? Okay, this goes back to our subject matter then. <laughs> okay, because we're I mean we are talking about a lot of movies here and, and we mentioned Neon Demon is the top of your one of at the top of your list. And if you just, you know, grab a handful of movies off the top of your head that are that uh, we're not going to say favorite because we talked about that subject, but that you think are some of the best movies yeah. that you've ever seen. Okay. So maybe you can grab, I'm, I'm guessing Neon Demon is one of them. Uh, well, we would not the best can, film of all time. But let's just say, let's grab like the top yeah. five that you think are the best and uh, and uh, you can throw them out there and you can too, Daniel, and then why, like what is it within those, what is it that you're looking for to to, to to, to hit all your buttons to make that would put in great list of great films yeah well, and why would it I mean what is it that okay. like for example uh, you were, when you were talking to Ian Damon you were saying how you were entranced you know like uh, you kind of it activated your subconscious maybe in a, in a way so that might be one reason why you would qualify a movie as a as a, as a good one yeah so just uh, maybe touching on some movies that categorizes some of the best and why why are they the best? What is it that makes them the best? Oh. Well you're asking about what we think are the best films or our favorite Best films, yeah. Best films. Yeah. Quality ones. I'm not we're not talking about uh Latin four. Right. Well I mean I feel that inevitably you're gonna end up with a lot of the same top ten. But why is that? But why? What is it that makes it so you can you can throw a couple of examples out if you think that, I mean, what is it that happens? What is it that it activates within you or makes you feel or makes you think or what is it that you experience that satisfies you? Well, for me, I think the best films, or at least my favorite of the best films, are films that ask questions that make you think without giving you any answers. No um, country for all that. No country falls into that. Um, I mean, one of my all-time 
favorites, which I think is undoubtedly one of the best movies ever made, would be 2001. Is a movie that gives you nothing but questions and let you let you leave the theater thinking about them probably for the rest of your life. Um, as opposed to something like Interstellar, which does the exact opposite, which is asks a bunch of questions, but by the end of the movie gives you all theoretical answers to these questions of space and science and throws them away like they don't matter to instead uh, you know, honor the sentimentality of a father-daughter relationship that doesn't matter in the scope of things. Uh, I don't know, what do you, go ahead. Oh, I, was, I mean, just I was just thinking, what, I mean, what, what you're saying, like the thing that I always I found so genius about 2001 that, that no other film has is it is so, uh, you know, it's so much the work of a technocrat and so much the work of a guy who understands technology, both technology of filmmaking and technology of space and rockets and things. And the first half hour, hour of the movie, you watch these things where literally you're like watching ships land and music playing and you watch them land and you, you, know, slow, you know, not slow motion, but slowly doors opening and closing, all this mechanical stuff. And you think, well, this is a movie about machines. Technology. And, and the only character in the movie really is a machine. But then he makes this incredible move where this very materialist, concrete movie about objects. And I think probably most of the movie photographs objects more than even people. Or photographs but people like objects. There are people like people like or, or people like little bugs within a big object. And then in that last couple of reels, it, it it moves to a completely poetic, transcendent place that has nothing to do with blueprints uh, and, and, and mechanics and how things work. I mean, we, we don't know how those things work. We don't even know what they are. Mm -hmm. um, but you feel it. I mean, I saw that movie as a little tiny kid, and I remember you feel that power of what's beyond the human. Yeah. Uh, in a way that, and I thought it's just like you know, what a it's it's one of those like super simple ideas. Start with, uh, uh, you know, the True Value Hardware Store handbook, and then end with William Blake. You yeah, know, but isn't that uh, what a movie about space exploration should do? How many? Yeah, I mean, I mean, some do that, but right. not. I mean, really no, 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 most don't. What I'm saying, Solaris that, maybe. Solaris is is also really good in a completely different. Way, yeah, um, but at least most American films about space are not about space and the questions that arise from exploration and what's out there and science, um, spirituality, really. and spirituality. Cotton, yeah. I mean, yeah. However, you define it. No, go ahead. Uh, so, I mean, another one of my favorites, which I think a lot of people would put up there on the best, but it's also popular now. Oh. Yes, it's somewhat more, a little more divisive than 2001, but um, which is funny because it's it's uh, constructed in the opposite way of 2001, that it was a complete and utter disaster of a shoot that then came together in post. But wasn't um, it shit on too? Wasn't it shit on when it came out? When it first generally, I mean, I don't no. think it was bad when I made for Best Picture. It can, I think, but it, it, it can, but that doesn't mean it's uh, it's going to be successful. Yeah. I mean, it was. Uh, was it in between the two Godfathers or after Godfather Two? It was after. After Godfather Two. Okay. I think it was seventy nine. Yeah. So coming off those, you know, it was going to be hard to live up to anything. Yeah. 
So well, you know the thing I think I find interesting about Apocalypse Now is thinking of it with 2001 is I, you know I, I feel like I don't know for you guys it changes when I watch it my take on it changes a lot over the years I watch it sometimes sometimes the ending seems brilliant to me and sometimes it seems really cheesy like wow he really just like, was vamping letting Brando grasp at straws but you, the, the thing that's just to me is so interesting about it is I watch that now and I think there's kind of no other way this movie could end but in that kind of inarticulate you know, in that last sequence with Brando, you're grasping for, oh my god, you know, Coppola is going to nail it in this scene, and 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 it kind of just dissolves as you're watching it, like it's it, it falls apart. But it seems to me like that's the only way that that journey could have ended is is in that kind of failure. Well, that sort of you know parallels Coppola not even knowing how to end the movie for yeah. a year and a half they were shooting. You know, I did you I, I read the original John Lydon script when they did. Oh, it's they, like they they blow it up, the, right? oh my the god! It's like right? this massive, yeah, mm-hmm. it's helicopter assault. Right. Yeah, it's like this totally different yeah. thing. Well, it's, which obviously didn't happen. somehow. Like, yeah. right? like you gotta be now. It's gotta have some kind of ending. And Francis is like, no, no, we can't do that. Yeah. You're already ran out of money. <laughs> but I mean, I guess you know, up there, I also the other movie. I mean, the thing that's similar between those two movies is that they're about men on some kind of quest where they're going deeper deeper into something. I, I mean, that's just, I mean, maybe that's just a narrative I respond to. Um, but, I mean, Eyes Wide Shut has that that kind of structure as well as a one guy deep, going deeper and deeper and following one guy into something. Um, and that sort of, all those films, the characters are sort of exploring these new worlds. Um, and I, I respond to that. That's, that's what hooks me and gets me into it is, and, uh, as opposed to a lot of movies which, which tell you, they tell you what's going on, they tell you how to feel, they tell you what the right answer is. So I think, I mean, going back to the question of what makes a movie good is that I think most movies aren't good because they they tell the audience how to feel. Can I just add in one little thing about the ending of Apocalypse Now? I would, if, if I ever meet Francis someday, I want to ask him about this because I saw the movie with my dad the first week that it opened and I still have they had a thing where they gave out uh, programs. Yeah, I remember that. Because uh, they were in the in the first week, in the script that uh, yeah, well yeah, I, don't, I mean I don't know if you intended to broadcast stuff, but it, it had no credits. Yet. Mm-hmm. So most people know the version that ends with you see napalm exploding and then there's there's jangling music and then there's the credits of it. But in this version, it ended with uh, Sheen is walking out past all the mountain yards and gets back in the boat. And you hear that PBR Street Gang thing on the radio, and there's that sound of the rain. Yeah. And they're getting the in the boat, yeah. and and literally, this was the greatest. It was so, and here's theatricality. This is a really theatrical effect. Sheen and the guys getting wherever is left. I can't remember. Getting the boat, and the picture just fades out, and the, and the theater closes and the house lights come up as you're still hearing the rain wow. in Cambodia playing as the lights are coming up. So after the movie's over, the rain of that going home stays with you for like 30 seconds Wow! as as you get up to leave, which is, I just getting me that's goosebumps. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> amazing. It really is. And it was amazing. It was like, I guess Francis couldn't figure out how the fuck would you do that on a DVD or something, yeah. <laughs> or VHS. Well, then, so they just wow. put they just slap credits on it. Yeah. Did that version happen? Yeah. While you're hearing the rain, did you 
also hear Brando going the horror, the horror. It, it has the horror, the horror, but okay. the, but post then that, that there was just more. There was just more rain. There was just yeah. ambient rain as as the picture went out, the curtain went down, and the lights came up. Well, I and think probably it was not even for. It wasn't that long, but it was long yeah. enough that you. Look at the person next to you while there was that sound. Wow, still, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Well, they didn't want the credits on it, so that's why when they show up at Kurtz's compound, you can see on the wall it says copyright apocalypse now because they had to have the copyright somewhere on the film. Oh, is that right? Are you yeah, kidding me? No, it's on the wall in the background. Yeah, when they're first walking up and everyone's there, it says copyright apocalypse Holy shit. It's like written? Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's like spray painted onto a wall. What? That's how I've never seen that. Yeah, I think the, the, uh, the ending with the, all the bombing was just the they just tacked that on for the theatrical cut with credits it was never like it was never intended it was it, like a thing that they just they had this extra footage and then they, they yeah, added it on yeah isn't that copyright thing isn't that how remember when like in the dawn of DVDs there'd be like movies like I remember Charade was one One-Eyed Jazz that became like public domain yeah Night of the Living Dead too because yeah, it was Night called of the, the Night of the Something eating you know Living corpses, and then when they change the title, they no longer have the copyright. So that movie's now has no copyright. I mean, it's public domain. Um, it's I just wonder how these movies, like didn't like stu- big studio movies that fell into that hole. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. Didn't you just didn't you get a copy of One Eyed Jack? Yeah, like remastered. Yeah, Criterion. There's a new one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Criterion just put it out. It's Criterion. gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. My first time seeing it. This is an interesting movie. Yeah, it's Definitely. really cool. When uh, oh, yeah. no. I was going to say, is I watched some of the behind-the-scenes stuff on, on the One-Eyed Jacks, and there's all this great stuff about uh, Brando. No, about Brando on One-Eyed Jacks getting, as the production went on, he kept getting fatter, as he did in life. And the, they have, if you look, if you cut the movie up, and you, they shot it in order, um, you can see that his, by the end of the movie, he's wearing pants that are like six times the size of what he looked like at the beginning wow. of the movie. Because he just, I mean, just got huge. And that's the same thing with him on Apocalypse Now, was it? The reason why he's in shadow and he's photographed that way, which is immense, is so amazing, is because he was so fat, he was so insecure about being on screen, he wouldn't come out of the trailer. So that Francis said, "I'll keep you in shadow." And then, I mean, all those stories are so good. That's you know, you know, Kubrick quit One Eyed Jack. He was the original director of One Eyed Jack, and Brando was just you know himself, he had to decide between the you know the horse and the other horse or whatever you know whatever. And Stanley was just like, fuck this. I mean, can't, and that's like Damien Chazelle telling, you know, Tom Cruise to fuck off right now or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're the young, hot guy, and you're just like, yeah. you know what, Mom? Yeah. Go fuck yourself. I got better things to do. And it did. And it, and it did. <laughs> <laughs> that what, after Spartacus? That would have been? Yeah. Yeah. You were mentioning earlier about how you don't like uh don't like movies to tell you how to feel. Mm-hmm. I think most people would agree. But there's something, well, there's two things I want to say. First of all, and I wish I could articulate it, but I don't think that I can. I can, you know, I can watch about five or ten minutes, and I can tell if it's a good movie. Yeah, definitely. And I can't, I know if it's a good movie. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't matter what genre it is. It doesn't, could be a musical, it could be a romantic comedy. I don't give a shit. It doesn't matter what it is, I, but you can tell. And I don't, I don't know what that is. Can, can I ask you, chaps? Is are there movies that you saw when you're really young, or maybe when you're a kid, and you didn't get it, and then later on, as you matured or aged or both, that you went, "Oh, now I get it," and you appreciate it? 
for sure. I'm trying to recall yeah. one right now. Um, I'm blanking, but definitely. What's one for you? I, I mean, to me, it's just you know one, one thing that I I think I think we talked about this before. It's just you know when I was a kid, to me, the things that seemed very important and, and spoke the truth were you know like Clockwork Orange and you know, things that were sort of dark, bloody. Mm -hmm hard on the audience, you know, brutal. And now it's like I watch, uh, you know, like an Ernst Lubitsch movie or something or, a, you know, a screwball comedy. And those to me seem like they're as profound as a tragedy. And and just that notion of comedy being able to be as, as profound and truthful as tragedy um, took a lot of time, I think, for me to, to get... Because the other thing seems, I don't know, it just seems so much more visceral. Yeah, yeah, it's immediate. Like you feel, yeah. you feel it. Yeah. There's also a lot of movies that you, I saw as a kid that I love that I've watched since, but I go, you know, what the hell was I thinking? Oh, yeah. Uh, but I think you, I think you just touched on something that's important in terms of the like, good movie discussion, which is the, there's truth in them. And that's what's, that's what's missing from almost everything is any semblance of any truth or, or I would say sincerity in what the film is, whether it's making or what it's about or its story. You know, it's, 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 just to speak to that, I, I saw something recently. Um, like, one movie that I watch, I, I don't even think it's a great movie, but I just wa I watch it endlessly, is uh, Magnolia. Mm. It was just a brilliantly directed movie. I don't think it's like a, the con conception of it is that deep, but it's just a dazzling movie. And I've watched it a million times. And then I watched a trailer for the movie that was big at the exact same moment that Magnolia was coming out, which is American Beauty. And I don't know if you've seen that movie recently or anything. It is the most fucking dated. It is up. so dated. Yeah. It looks like it came out 50 years ago. And it came out like literally the same time as Magnolia, which if you watch that movie now, it looks like it could have been made this morning. Yeah, yeah. I just watched it last week. It's, 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 it's fantastic. And it's I wish it's it dazzling, right? I, mean, I wish it wouldn't end. It just yeah. kept going and going and going. Yeah. I feel that way about Buggy Nights, too. Actually. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I, remember, I mean, I remember the time everyone was like, I laughed and I cried. And yeah, I, yeah, I remember and that I too. Was like, it, didn't, it didn't really blow me away at the time, but man, if you look at it now, it's like, wow, really? But what, what do you think about that? I'm just going to make a case for something here. When you're talking about things that have that truth or like truth, it's a problem or the whole fact of that making you sort of telling you how to feel. Steven Spielberg is probably the one that people the king think of, telling of you right? Feel, yeah. Okay, yeah, so... He's great. But, but I, for example, I, I really love like Close Encounters. I could probably name some others. I love Jaws. I, I you know, I love. I and I am not ashamed to say that I love. I really love some Spielberg. But you know, usually you kind of know what you're going into. You know, and he he goes off and he goes off in directions that we're talking about. What do you think about what do you think about him? Let me ask you this. Can you think of a Spielberg movie that has sex scene in it? Yeah. There's one. Is there? Munich. Munich. And it is ah, the most awkward. It's terrible. It's terribly written by Tony Kushner, too. Yeah. I, I like the movie Munich quite a bit, but that scene is incredibly awkward. I think it's interesting to think about Spielberg and that he doesn't... There's no... He's very sentimental, but there's no sensuality, sexuality, or yeah. any anything Nothing he's ever done. Well, can I just tell you, this is the thing I always say to people who don't like Spielberg, and it never, it never persuades anybody, but I, it's the deal to me. 
Uh, I don't know if you are you guys fans of ET. Yeah. That was a grim, yeah. a grim I'm, look. I'm a much bigger fan of all the other amazing sci-fi movies that came out right around E.T. that failed because of E.T. Like, what, The Thing? The Thing, yeah. Tron, yeah. and uh, there's one more in there that all came out. Tron, right? Well, Tron is... I saw the... The new one? New one. But I never the, saw the original one. is unique in that it's the only movie that looks like that. It's Very a rear projected movie. The way that they did the effects is hand-painted, rear-projected, 70-millimeter... So it has its, its, it looks like nothing else. And it may not be the best movie, but it's amazing visually. And yeah. it's, it's Sydney and Mobius doing all the design. So it just, visually, it is, it's, it's great. Well, here's just, the, the, I, I, I love EPN, but there's one thing in it that, I've, I've, I've kind of studied it a, a, a bunch, and there's one thing in it that I think is really Sublime, and I can't, and it's it's something I can't at all put my finger on. Uh, but you know, there's the ending, the climactic scene is when ET goes back on the ship, and you know I was there when, when the when the film came out, and I saw it with my grandfather, who was a guy who went through World War II, never went to see movies, crying his eyes out next to the little <laughs> kids who are crying, everyone's crying, yeah, the world world was crying. <laughs> but the thing that's interesting is in that scene. There's sort of a, a welling of emotion as as E.T. is going to go back, and then there's one, literally one beat. There's one shot where Dee Wallace, who plays Elliot's mom, is looking at the ship, and she drops to her knees. And every time, if you watch the movie E.T. with an audience, at exactly the moment where Dee Wallace drops to her knees, the whole audience bursts into tears. And I've watched this movie a million times, and I couldn't tell you why it is that that one thing. Is the exact second when everybody loses their shit. Do you lose your shit? I do. I mean, I probably have watched it so much that I'm a little <laughs> immune. But yeah, same. I probably, I definitely did when I saw it in the theater. It's it's like it's kind of the music, but it's something about that falling. Yeah. That just it it just pushes people over the edge, and you could you could you could watch it. I think here or in you know, Kathmandu, and the same audience yeah. would just lose their mind. That to me is just a sign of Spielberg's genius. Somehow he knew if I if I just ping that glass yeah. like that, it's going to make yeah, everyone's yeah. head explode. You know, I, I don't know why. I, I love I love a lot of Spielberg. Why Why did you bring up Spielberg? Because he's sort of the epitome of the of the guy who, from what you described uh, as a bad movie, would right. make. You know, someone who would make. You know, he brings in the music at the right time. He knows how to play the heartstrings. It's not necessarily about a lot of raw truth. Right, but the I guess you can't deny his craftsmanship. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I would also say is is melodrama less truthful than realism? And I don't I don't think it is. Yeah, for example, what he does with suburban families around the kitchen table, I don't think anybody does it better. Honestly, I mean whether it's ET or Close Encounters or Jaws, I mean he just done it many times, but he captures that like better than anybody. We're almost at an hour, you guys, so we're going to wrap it up in just a minute, but maybe uh, before we do, this has been fucking great. I'm having a really good time. Um, I don't know, why don't we just say, like, uh, let's talk about it. Do you guys have a movie, or a couple of movies that you pop up in your head that uh, if they, if they, if you turned on the TV and it was on, you're fucked. You know you're there for the whole time. You can't. You oh, to watch God. It. Is there, like... Bazillions. Yeah, okay. What is it? Mine would be Heat. 
some people love or hate. This is a controversial thing because I didn't even know that people hate him. But there's a large contingent of people who think he is just garbage. I love it. Well, I was just telling you I watched uh, Straight Time. Yeah, and Straight Time is he or he is Straight Time in so many ways. The uh, Cameron giving me back my heat book. Um, but yeah, I did never seen Straight Time, and I watched it. And I just to me, I was this is just heat that my man just basically took straight time and beefed it up and uh, I mean I, I love Heat too but but, uh, but yeah it's very much yeah. heavily that bunker story yeah, uh, if I had I mean there's a bajillion <clears throat> watch it if it came on mill uh, JFK just somehow oh really somebody. interesting oh, yeah. yeah I mean that's I could just watch that I just watch it the very day yeah that's <laughs> interesting so it, it's it's I mean it's it's that movie kind of blows my mind because it is so there's so much information downloaded in that movie. There's so many facts and things and connections and places and people, but it's just fucking riveting. And he had that idea of cast every single character with stars so you remember each person. Oh, Jack Lemmon and, right, Jack and, Lemmon, yeah. and that guy and that guy and Kevin Bacon and that. So you you know who they all are. Um, and it could be like it's a mad, mad world, but it's not. It doesn't. <laughs> it's it's it just works. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I find that movie just yeah, it's crippling. Like you just turn it on. And you yeah, you're stuck. It. That's an interesting choice. I, like I mean, like, yeah, again, for me, there's, there's I don't know about bazillions, but dozens. Yeah. Of movies that. Oh, well, you can name a couple. Watch, yeah. I mean, honestly, any 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 Kubrick and any Carpenter. Those Carpenter. both of those guys, like you're watching. Any Carpenter? Memoirs not, of an Invisible Man. Not any carpenter. We'll say the first like the there's probably three or four that I wouldn't watch, but the rest I would. I think Vampires is underrated. Vampires is very underrated. James Woods is very good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Carpenter only made two or three bad movies. You know, Carpenter is actually I think he's gonna be one of those guys that after he's gone is gonna be recognized. Oh yeah, I think I mean in this country because I think he's actually is more so in yeah, Europe, yeah. yeah, quite a bit. I, I think people kind of get that the thing is great now. Yeah, that's coming around. I remember when I was a kid. You, uh, you guys probably don't remember this. Leonard Maltin used to be the film critic on Entertainment Tonight, and he'd give things numbers. And the only movie I ever saw Leonard Maltin give a zero to was the thing. That's the other movie that came out. Zero being. The worst. Zero. Zero. Yeah. yeah. The Are worst. you fucking kidding me? He would give Shelley Long movies a one, but the thing <laughs> got a fucking zero. A zero. Yeah. You know the thing. He was like, the "This is, is the most disgusting, top. inhuman, foul movie." What I was the like, "What is wrong with you?" <laughs> <laughs> of all no, the movies. That, honestly, that's probably in my top five favorite of all time. But that's because of ET. E.T. fucked wow. everybody up to a point where they couldn't see a movie about an alien that wasn't... Well, they came out almost simultaneously. Right, right. Uh, I think... Was it was it 82? I think Blade Runner was that. Blade Runner came out a week after E.T. Yeah, wow. What a fucking... How did that do when it came out? Very bad. Oh, very, yeah. very bad. Yeah. But you know what's great? It came out also at the same time that everybody forgets about is great? Poltergeist. That's a great Which movie. Which is directed by Steven Spielberg. Yes, it is. Right. Yep, another one. Yeah, I love that movie. All right. We're a little over an hour. All right. And, uh, this is God the kind of thing. We're going to end on I'm still recorded this. <laughs> no, no, no. No, you go. You, go. <laughs> you, can, you can wrap it over there, but before... Uh, we should probably do this again. I, I could do this. I'm so glad we recorded this. This is one of those conversations where it's just like, we should record it. Right? We should. And we did. Uh, and we could go on for hours easily. Uh, I think we should do it again sometime, but... Do you want to... 
Is no, I don't have anything to add. I just was surprised to end on Poltergeist. <laughs> <laughs> what, what button would you like to add? This is your show, man. Yeah. You tell yeah. me. Is there anything that uh, we can cut one more little thing if you have something off the top of your head? Got something you want to say about it? Some movie that you want to talk about? Did it cut you off a little? Look like there is on your own. Yeah, you know what? I mean, just talking about this <laughs> yeah, yeah. best versus favorite thing. Yeah. I just want to encourage if there's anybody listening thinking about this other, just encourage people to broaden their horizons and look into things that may not be yeah. in your most immediate queue of stuff. And to look out beyond that, because I find that's always where the most interesting discoveries are. It's so it's such a pleasure when something you didn't think was going to be good or you didn't know yeah. anything about it is good. It's the greatest feeling. That's one of the best things is when you walk into a movie not yeah. Or you hear it sucks and it turns out to be great, or you know. That's important too when you what you just said there when you hear it sucks because it's very very easy. It's easy. I mean, even for me, when I hear that, I, I have to work on getting that bias out of the way. I have to pretend like I didn't hear it, you know, and really see it for what it is for me. So, uh, what about when you hear how great a movie is? Oh, yeah. That's easier. Like, I, like I walk in, and I'm just like... Yeah, yeah but it makes makes moving through the world that much more. It happens, that happens often. When everyone's uh, <laughs> loving a uh, mediocre movie at best, like... Uh, like maybe one. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, I always feel all the time like there's so many critics I read that I feel like such and such a movie, if you if this person saw the movie not after the buzz at Sundance in Toronto and right. everyone loved it, if they just sat in a room and someone showed them and said, okay, what do you think? Would they jizz all over that movie? Probably, Probably, not. Not. Probably not. A lot of them not. They're they're re, they're reparroting right. the pipe. Right. I feel that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. More and more. I mean, there's this sort of. I mean, it's because uh, everybody's a, point, a critic, literally. Right. It's not but it's the same as it used to be. Like it's the uh, <clears throat> criticism has gotten just polarized as politics almost. Where you know you say, "La La Land," but God forbid, Moonlight wasn't a good movie. You thought it was not a good movie. I, I enjoyed Moonlight a lot more. Than I know what you're saying, though. Politically, it's kind of sketchy to say that. Even if you know, it's kind of just to shit out. It's all of a sudden you're going to be stamped with all kinds of things. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, I, just say it's it. dangerous to have an opinion. It's not what everyone else is saying. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Like, everybody is a trade now. Film criticism. Well, I guess that's another... It doesn't exist quite as much. It's out there. Yeah, but that's another yeah. common factor between you're asking what are good movies. Yeah. All the good movies were hated when they came out. A lot of them. A lot of them. Who's... who's uh, do you have any critics that you really respect? That oh, are, there's a lot. Vilga uh, Aviri, who writes for The Village Voice, is a great writer. Amy Taubin, who writes for Art Forum. Uh, Nick Pinkerton. Oh, yeah. Who, uh, he writes for all different kinds of venues. He's great. Violet Luca, who writes for Film Comment. There are definitely really good uh, Sean Burns, who writes for Boston Papers. There, there's a lot of good writers out there. They're probably not the most. I don't know who's like the who is known now. I don't even know who, like, a big one like a, New York Times critics, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. A.O. Scott, A.O. Scott, and Manolo Arbus, who are, I think are good as well. Yeah, it all it all gets overwhelmed by Twitter, though. Really. 
Yeah. Do people not, not, you think they don't, they don't read that stuff? No, I think they do, but I don't think it has the impact. Well, there's also a, a, a probably a huge age, a generational gap between who's reading what. Yeah. You know, I don't think true. a lot of kids are reading. I don't think Bay a lot of kids Scott. are really seeing any movies. And I don't think a lot of. Oh, yeah. yeah. When I was a kid, Pauline Kael was bit, when I was a kid, Pauline Kael was as big as a movie maker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like her opinion and her words, and I mean, everyone ran to read her. Right. And go, oh, oh my God, she liked that. You know, I mean, it was really like the the, the tablets coming down from the mountain. I don't know that anyone has that. Right. I don't know how we can end. Alright. We can talk about Schrader for five minutes. Okay, we'll give that. I just rewatched Schrader's first or at least four this the run from Cat People. From uh, yeah, Cat People, uh Mishima, uh American Gigolo, and uh, I'm blanking on the fourth. But I watched Star Four. Did he do B Collar? Was it that or it wasn't hardcore. I've seen hardcore before, but even just with the the, the trio of American Gigolo, Cat People, especially, and Mishima, the most, were I was blown away. He was, it's, I had no idea that he had made such amazing. Well, movies. his new film is uh, a very spiritual movie, kind of like Silence, uh, and uh, I think people will find it is very daring and very unlike his other work. Uh, this one's coming out next for me? Like, yeah, it's, I, it has like, one more week to shoot, I think, in two weeks. Uh, a movie with Ethan Hawke called First Reform, about a little church being devoured by a mega church. And it's, it's uh, fantastic. Did you like the canyons? That, that like the canyons? I think the first two thirds of the canyons are, are, are solid. And then there's like a lot of running around, screaming and knives and stuff. I thought, he, I mean, I thought he did a good job in that making it look good. It was a very, very, I found out later, a very low budget movie. And it's a very, you know, Douglas Sirky kind of glitz, you know, sleek looking movie. That was a movie that everybody hated. Did they, I just one of those things like, do people really hate it or were they just like told to hate it? That's what I'm talking about. Right. And That's they, exactly what I'm talking about. I think it's overwhelmed by Twitter. I mean, I'm just pulling Twitter out of the hat, but, you, by, but this public. Right. I mean, I, I remember seeing him like, this isn't the fucking worst movie ever made. It was because right. of the casting. The casting is what people couldn't get past. Namely, it wasn't yeah. That was to people were just incapable of watching the movie and not seeing her. Because everything I've heard about it is how bad she is. Which I don't even think she's that bad in the movie. She's not bad. It's just that her celebrity overshadows everything. Okay, this is how we're gonna wrap. Okay. I'm gonna give you guys. This is it for real. Okay. I'm gonna give you this mic. You guys can both talk about uh, if you want to whatever degree you want. Uh, what you guys have going on in the future? Because I know you're both making some things. You're working on it. And you don't have to include the one that we. No. Saw yeah. No. Uh, unfortunately, I can't say too much. Yeah. On publicly, because not a lot has been announced. But there's things coming. How do you tell people how to follow? How do they keep track? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, I go by not being a Freeman on Instagram, um, and uh, I'm also on the, the old Facebook. Um, and that's about it. Um, that's about it. Well, uh, I'm uh, uh, directing a movie that I wrote called "Morning Has Broken." Lydia first. Uh, 
Peter Bogdanovich, uh, who we do know. This is the largest role he's ever had in any that's exciting. That's cool. Uh, yeah, it's like a it's like a two character. Not really, but it's 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 a kind of a two man. So we're doing that in the first half of this year. She was away, and then I have a movie that I wrote. Uh, it's a bigger movie that uh, my friend Robert Schwenke. You guys know him. He did Red and Some. the Divergent movies, oh, okay. and, uh, Flight Plan, and stuff like that. Uh, it's a movie called Bad Company. That's about Robert Evans and the Cotton Club murders, the, the crime that swirled around the making of the Cotton Club in the early 80s. It's uh, and that's, that is going to uh, happen at the end of 2017. Robert's shooting a movie in Germany now, but that company is going to happen. So it's already it's in pre production? It's, yes, it is. Oh, nice. It's K5, the company that did Jim Jarmusch's uh, Patterson. Wow. All the okay. producers, and they're really, really groovy. You so, like yeah, I, I, like I mean, it. I'm sorry. it's not my favorite journey, right. but it's good. How, so how, how do we, how do people follow you for that? To oh, track your movies and that weird thing like that? Is it Facebook? Oh, wow. Facebook. We're going to put your on the blog. All right. So anything else you want to say real quick before we wrap it up? No. Not you? No. Nothing wise at Keep going to protest President 45 in public. Because he apparently gets really pissed when he sees those aerial photos of masses of bodies. That really does get to him. So, stay outdoors. He's a, he's a thin-skinned guy. Whoopsie. You keep going to the movies. Keep going to the you movies. don't keep going, going to the movie anymore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Buy tickets. Buy tickets to good ones. Don't go to the Chihuahua 3. <laughs> yeah, vote with your dog. <laughs> Alright, guys. Thanks. Thank you. So that was Matthew Wilder and Daniel Friedman, you guys, and this was the movie episode, our our cinephile episode. Let me know what you guys think about that. Uh, you can always email me at triumphanddisasterblog at gmail.com, triumphanddisasterblog at gmail.com. I'll get back to you. Um, I don't have any cut and dry rules about how I do this show. I, 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 uh, I just don't. So I tried something a little different, just a conversation about this particular thing. Um, so let me know what you thought about that. If you want more or if you want a different subject matter, um, if you have any suggestions with who, any of that kind of stuff. And uh, if you like it, please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps Apple to promote the show. Really appreciate that. And um, on every blog post of Triumph and Disaster blog is a PayPal button. And uh, I do everything on my own dime. So if you can drop even what you pay for a coffee, it really help the show out. And I'll make sure to uh, give you credit and call you out in the show by name if you'd like. Uh, unless you say anonymous, I'm going to call you out by name because I think you really deserve that credit. So uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.